For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's study, we close out the book of Hebrews, 13 chapters that can be summed up in one sentence, Jesus is better. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Finishing Well. Well, if you are flipping through the channels, especially late at night, on any given evening, uh, if you come upon the religious broadcasting section, You can find a lot of strange stuff out there. Now, I I mean, I saw a guy selling Miracle Spring Water, right, for $19.95, right, that you use this water, but you drink it. And when you drink it, it will erase all your debts. Not your spiritual ones, the ones that come in the mail. All, All of those. But wait. There's more, (laughs) and there always is. (laughs) He was going to throw in these blessed handkerchiefs, all right, that he personally prayed over, all right, and you take those hankies, and you put it on whatever ails you, and you'll wake up in the morning, and you'll find out, guess what, that your troubles are gone. Well, I don't think that's the point of Acts chapter 19, where that originally Happened, And so, you know, you've heard me talk about different things. Uh, you know, angel feathers coming down, descending on the congregation as they worship, or gold dust from heaven uh, coating the worshipers' faces and hands. And that's just crazy stuff. I had an, e- an email, an ad in my inbox uh, for a new Christian book uh, that is about a new breakthrough Bible diet. Uh, and I thought, you know, that's kind of strange. There are 101 kinds of Bible diets out there, and, which is strange because the Bible really doesn't offer any advice on diet or nutrition. So to have all those books out there, it's kind of strange. Um, interestingly, these are the same kinds of Uh, odd things that they were dealing with, the same kind of strange things and teachings uh, are out there today. And in this morning's text here, as Hebrews comes to a close, the pastor writing uh, is going to remind them once again about these kinds of strange ideas. And picking up at verse 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. Now he's going to go deep into Hebrew territory. So don't worry, you have a tour guide. We are going to go through this. We are going to understand the correlation between this and that. So he says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of those animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. So let's pause there. We are going to take a look at these things. Um, Pastor Paul, and many believe, and I think the, the greatest evidence that Paul is writing is yet to come in the upcoming verses, but he's written this 13-chapter letter to his Hebrew Christian congregation here uh, with a, a, a blast of ethical Uh, admonitions. Now, an ethical admonition is a fancy way of just saying what to do and what not to do, right? Uh, Morally speaking, if you want to grow strong in your faith in the Lord. So we've been taking a look at, as Hebrews is coming to a close, uh, these kind of don't forget the milk 
kind of remarks at the end of the letter, right? And of course, it's more important than not forgetting the milk. But, you know, as you come to a parting, you always save some really important things that are bubbling up. And hey, don't forget. And one of the things that was happening to them, uh, and there are three of them in the 14 verses that remain, and those three admonitions, don't forget, don't forget this, don't forget that, don't forget the other thing. Those three things will be our text uh, this morning. Uh, there are 14 verses, and they stay grounded. And uh, for our consideration, we've already gotten underway with the first admonition. And the first one is, listen, as things heat up out there, things are going to get crazy. I want you to, number one, stay grounded. Stay grounded in the gospel, the truth of the word of God, which can save you and bless you and keep you from being led astray. Now, there's never been a shortage of strange doctrines. And when you use the word doctrine, it comes from the Latin for doctor or teacher. So a doctrine is just a teaching. Right, And so there's never been a shortage of strange ideas that have challenged God's people from the dawn of time, especially with the Jews. And now the Jews, uh, the Hebrews who got saved and accepted Jesus, we're talking about Jewish Christians, right, in this context. And among Judaism, there was a whole bunch of weird ideas. Myths. So Titus chapter 1 says, pay no attention to, to Jewish myths. And Paul talks about Jewish fables. So these things were really dogging these uh, members of this congregation. And so he says, don't be carried away with all kinds of outlandish, strange, non-biblical. What makes something strange here in the context is you can't find any basis for it in the Bible, Right? But someone who's teaching it has an open Bible in front of them. That's what makes it strange. It's like what's coming out of your mouth is in direct defiance and contradicting the very words that you're holding. And so that's what it means by strange. Now, this congregation, unfortunately, is particularly vulnerable to this kind of false teaching. Um, really, he's saying, listen, there's a villain out there. It's called false teaching. And if you're not careful, that villain is going to, let's personify the false teaching. That villain's going to come in, pick you up, put you over its shoulder, and carry you away to a place you don't want to go as a Christian. A, 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 a place where you will be ineffective and unproductive, where you might lose heavenly reward, and, and where you become a, a big, fat stumbling block to other people. That's where it takes you if you open your heart up. And, and here's their problem. They've been persecuted. So they're kind of weary. They're upset. They're stressed out. That's in uh, chapter 10, verse 34. They're handling their troubles poorly. Chapter 10, verse 36. They have bad attitudes, and they're being spiritually lazy. Chapter 12, and verse 5. They've been dropping out of church. Chapter 10, verse 25. They're becoming spiritually dull, is the word. Dense, hard-hearted. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11. And so, when you get like that, and then somebody comes into town with this, this, this wonderful-sounding new idea, you're in no condition to fight it off, and, and you're going to get carried off. In fact, interestingly... The word for carried off there in your text is the same word used of all those who were carried to Jesus on mats and stretchers, the lame and the paralyzed and the sick, too weak to walk. They were peripheroed. Same word, carried off. In other words, these Christians and all Christians who, who become empty, disillusioned, they don't handle their, their disillusionment well or their hurt or their persecution or their stress and they become weak and sick and lame, spiritually speaking. And then the, the false teaching comes in and sounds brand new and tickles their ears and says, hey, maybe that's what I've been looking for. And it swoops them up and carries them off. 
Oh, they were ready. And listen, First Peter chapter 5 says the devil, his job description, he goes to and fro on the earth looking for someone to devour. And there's no one easier to devour than a Christian who's lay aside their armor and their Bible and their Christian friends and their congregation and their pastor and their truth. Oh, you know, that's just a big dumb gazelle who wanders out from the herd with a bunch of lions looking onward. You know, that's just not smart. That's not smart at all. You've seen enough of National Geographic to know that that's a, listen, I'll spend a little extra time on point one to stay grounded because we need to stay grounded. And to explain this well, I'm gonna take a little extra time. Points two and three, they go faster. Let me show you this, let me show you this. This is important, take some time on this. It is not an exaggeration to say that most of the New Testament is about staying grounded in the truth. The entire New Testament. And I'm just going to make a case for that right here, starting with the words of Jesus. Watch out for false prophets, teachers. They come to you, they don't look like false prophets. They come to you looking cute and cuddly and just like everybody else in the church. But inwardly, aha, ferocious, because they're telling you lies. Next, Paul writing to the Ephesian congregation. Uh, he, he says, hey, God has given us pastors to equip the church. Then he says, then we will no longer be infants, spiritually speaking, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That's a lot of adjectives to say they're out to trick you, carry you off to an, a place of uh, where you're not productive. Acts 20, 30, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. And distorting the truth is the best for the devil. You know why? Because an out-and-out lie is an out-and-out lie. You can say, hey, that's an out-and-out lie. But when the truth gets distorted, you can still see bits and glimmers of the truth. And it's so much easier to swallow that deception if you put a little truth in it. Right? Oh, there it is. To draw away disciples after the next slide. Paul to a different church. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, so the devil's always behind it. Your minds may somehow, your mind, by false teaching and false ideas and, and extra biblical principles, may somehow lead you astray. There it is, and carry you off, drift you away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. To another church, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting, deserting the one who's called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What kind of gospel? A false one, which is really no gospel at all. To yet another church, to the Colossians. He says, see to it. You make sure your responsibility that no one takes you captive. There's the idea again. Pick you up and carry you off through empty, hollow, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, the way men think, the way the world thinks, and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Oh, I've got more, one more. <laughs> Paul, to the guy he's mentoring, Timothy, Pastor Timothy. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Of course, they don't, they, it's coming through the mouth of a false teacher or false teaching. Things taught by the bad guy. Second Peter to his people. But there were also false prophets among the Old Testament people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, means crooked Crooked things, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. John, sweet, beloved John, dear friends, don't believe everyone. 
but test people. Test what's coming out of their mouths to see whether they're from God because many false teachers have gone out into the world. Let's sum it up with Jude. He says it the best, I think. He says, dear friends, my first thought, I was so excited I was going to write you a letter about salvation, but something else was more important than salvation. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to saints. Saints just means separated to God, nothing to do with moral perfection. Verse four, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago has secretly slipped in among you. They're godless. They changed the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, the only sovereign Lord. And so he says, listen, you got to fight. And, and you know what? This, what's interesting to me is, is that the writer to the Hebrews, he's not even saying get aggressive. Get out there. When you see something on Facebook, post a reply. He's not saying that. <laughs> all, <laughs> all he, that's what I say. But <laughs> you know what he's saying? He's saying, could you just defend yourself? Could you just keep yourself off the devil's stretcher? Could you just be feeding yourself and coming under the word of God and, and being a part of a congregation where you're hearing the word and being taught? Can you just do that so that we're not watching some guy haul you off to some place where you're just insignificant to the work of God? Worse than being insignificant to the work of God is being a hindrance, causing confusion. He says, stay Grounded. Let me give you three strange teachings. They're like one sentence each. No worries. All right. I like to just kind of throw out a disclaimer there. So <laughs> the first strange teaching, it's a strange thing to say that everyone gets to heaven and love wins out when Jesus talks so much about hell. Jesus says that whoever does not know him or obey him will perish. But with the open Bible, they say, not so, they erase hell. That to me, just strange. That's a strange thing to say with the Bible, with lots of red letters that talk about hell from Jesus' mouth. It's just strange. Okay, I said one sentence, I meant a long sentence. <laughs> Number two, another strange teaching that we need to stay grounded in the word of God is making the primary focus about you me and our happiness and our financial prosperity. Now, I find that strange when Jesus, our Lord, tells us, here's how you should pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And then Paul the Apostle, among other places, says, if Christians have food and clothing, we're content with that because we came in with not a lot and we're going out with the same, physically speaking. So I find it strange that in light of what the Bible says, that the entire gospel message is me focused with a God who wants to make me wealthy. That is a strange teaching. And let me add one more sentence to that long sentence. <laughs> Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians and chapter 6, that men who think those kinds of things have a corrupt mind. Therefore, if you say it and you're holding a Bible, it's strange. Last one is, you know, the Lord clearly just defined marriage and human sexuality. He, he made it so easy a third grader could understand it. He said, what the creator made a man and then he made a woman and then he put them together and they got married, right? And... and he clearly condemns all other unions, very clearly, right? So to open a Bible, and I'm talking about Christians now, not the world. They, they think whatever they want. I'm talking about Christians stay grounded in the truth. And what is the truth? Well, the truth is hate the sin, love the sinner, right? That's what it is. So it's very strange for Christians to say, ah, you know, times have changed and the world has grown up. And, you know, what did Jesus really mean by man, woman anyway, you know? <laughs> Pull up a third grader right now. We'll ask him. 
boy, girl, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. So th- those are strange teachings. Listen, people, stay grounded. Read your Bible. And don't let any false teaching swoop you up and carry you off to a place you really don't want to go. What was their problem? Their problem was food. Well, let's talk about food. We all like to do that. Amen? (laughs) Amen? Can you be honest? You're in church. Do you like to talk about food? Amen. (laughs) All right. So here we go. Um, In this case, what exactly the whole false teaching, we don't have it. The author knows the details. Uh, the, the, the church knows exactly what this silly Bible diet's all about, uh, but we don't. But we have some hints, and we're going to walk through the text there. So here's the paraphrase. He's saying, yeah, of course, our hearts, our spiritual lives, need to be strengthened, but strengthened by God's grace, not ceremonial foods, which are absolutely powerless in every way to help you. They have no value at all, these foods. Okay, let's take it apart. What's a ceremonial food? First of all, well, they had holidays called holy days. There were seven of them, and they were called feasts for a reason. They had a lot of food, but certain foods were in and certain foods were out. And so uh, uh, there were, you know, not a lot of people know this, that when you brought an, uh, a, an offering in Old Testament times, you were bringing meal. You were going to sit down with the priests in the presence of God, and you and the priests and God would have a communal, ceremonial meal together. So uh, there would be meat from livestock that you brought a uh, brain, a uh, bra- brain. <laughs> you didn't know that sweetbreads were a part of the deal. No. You would have grain and bread together, make brain, by the way. <laughs> bread and grain and wine and these things that they brought, they brought their fruit, tr- fruit from their fruit trees. And they spread out and had a ceremony. And those foods, especially Passover, those foods, since they were there used at a sacred time and blessed by the high priest, those particular foods, if you eat them, you will be a better Christian. You will grow in your faith because there's something sacred in that food. So make sure you're eating that food. And Paul says, zero value by eating that food. You know, food is a big deal to the Jews. That's why they have feasts, you know? If you ask a Jew today, uh, so what's up with the Judaism? I mean, you guys don't have a temple. And here's what they'll say, if they're practicing. They'll say, every home is a temple now. Every family a sanctuary. Every table an offering. Every meal an altar. Every Jew a priest. They've taken Judaism, and where it is lived out is at the table. The food tells the stories. Passover, everything on that table that you're enjoying has a story to it. And so, well, you, I told you this joke a thousand times, and I'm going to tell you again, and you can laugh still. It won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> but, you know, the joke about the motto for the seven holy days, the, the seven feasts, uh, is... Uh, about Jewish festivals, they all have this in common. They try to kill us, we survived, let's eat, all right? (laughs) I really like it. And and, and so those foods, oh, don't eat that food. That food won't help your heart. Heart, they mean your Christian life. But eat this food, oh, yeah, because it has the blessing of uh, the altar. So, you know, and they, they took legalism and they made it worse. Not only can you not eat certain foods and you have to eat these kinds of foods, but if you do, there's a spiritual blessing. And so Jesus, our Lord, laid a foundation that I call food sanity 1A. All right. And here it is in Matthew 7. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone. And understand this, 
Nothing outside a man can make him defiled or, or, or have kind of put him on the out with God by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man's mouth that makes him defiled. And then after a little bit, there's some section in there. And then he says, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this. And he said, come on, you guys. Are you still so slow? Uh, he, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a, a man from the outside, nothing a guy eats, can make him defiled? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, you know, I don't know if I would say that from the pulpit, that the food goes in and then it goes out. <laughs> the Son of God, he knows how he made us. And he's going, come on, people, can we use common sense with this food thing? I mean, you're all concerned about it so much, but it really, and he said, really, in saying this, he's saying food is a non-issue spiritually, period. That's what he's saying. And, and, and yet we have some, uh, we have some problems with that. Now, we, we tend to want more out of food and supplements and vitamins and what we eat and what we don't eat. We, we look to that for, perhaps, for a little bit more than what they can provide. Um, Paul the Apostle said, food does not bring us near to God and nor are we any worse if we eat it, no better if we do. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says, give thanks and eat whatever you want. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. Now, of course there's wisdom. Of course we're supposed to use common sense. And eating healthy is a good thing to do. And if you're a diabetic or you have food allergies, it's life and death. You ought to pay attention. Generally speaking, the Bible does not give one verse to advocate how we should eat for health. No, not one. And I told the first group, the first early bird special, 8.30 service. You find me one verse that talks about food and health in the Bible, that God says, hey, I'm advocating you do this. Rather, it's just the opposite. He, he decreases the significance of food completely. Now, we are grown Americans. We can do as we want. I hope that you are happy with the diet that you're on. However, you cannot link it to the Bible. There's no admonition. That would be a strange thing to do. I went on Christian Book Distributing uh, website, and I punched in diet. 1,286 books. So I thought, well, you know, it can't be like the hallelujah diet and this diet and Lord help me diet and this diet and Daniel did it this way diet. I thought, no way. So I went down by 50s, clicking by 50s. Oh yeah, all the way to all different, all based on what the Bible is telling you to eat or not eat. Let me just tell you one more time, not one verse tied to food and our spiritual life, except to the Jews back in the day when they were surrounded by the Canaanites. And he said, I don't want you to mix with the Canaanites. So I'm going to give you dietary laws that make eating at the table with them kind of impossible. And so those kosher rules had nothing to do with health, all to do with holiness, separate. I want you guys separated from them. And one way to do it is give you a really strict diet and then you are not going to be having uh, the Canaanites over for dinner. You know why? Because the Canaanites eat bacon on everything. <laughs> and you guys are just going to have a hard time cozying up to that. And when Jesus came and the Messiah was done, coming from those people who were collected and, and, and stayed away, then Jesus said, all foods are clean. Done, done with that. All right, so... Stay grounded in the truth and not just about food. You know, hey, listen, I'll tell you what the prescription in the Bible is for your health. <laughs> Let me read it to you. Uh, a, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. 
So in my mind, it'd be, it'd be better to scour your life uh, for envy rather than uh, fructose, <laughs> you know? Because here's what it says. Listen, I will never forget your commandments for you have used them to restore my joy and my health. He says, don't let, Proverbs chapter three, don't let kindness or truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. It shall be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. God's prescription for health is not to amend or change your diet because it goes in and out. He says, perhaps if you want an overall feeling of well-being, amend not your diet, but your behavior with me. Amen? Amen. Oh, I'm done. And thank you for saying amen over there. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Now, uh, now to this. Man, let me just sum it up to you back to the opening verses. It gets a little tricky. Now, follow here. He's saying in verse 10... He's saying, okay, you guys, also about the ceremonial foods. He goes, you want to talk? He says, you want to talk about food that makes you holy, acceptable, brings God favor? Okay, let's do it. And so he's going to compare and contrast two things, two altars, okay? Since they take the food from the altar and say, oh, this is making me a better Christian. Let's compare Old Testament and New Testament. So let me show you the picture of the temple. So he's going to say, listen, let's talk about the food here. Okay, here's the altar. Here's the priests. Uh, okay, they're, they're, they're taking that food and it becomes a meal. I, I, we understand that. All right, that's where they're saying the food from here, that'll make you a better, better believer, more mature. All right, let me give you a close-up of that altar. It's called the brazen altar. It's made of bronze. It's where it really represents Jesus taking the judgment of the world and him, not a lamb or livestock being put there, but Jesus. So they're saying any food that touches this, if you eat it, man, it's like magic food, man. You're right there with the Lord, right? He says, no, it's not food from this altar. It's food from this altar. This was the altar it was typifying where the Lamb of God, the God-man, would lay down his life as a burnt offering completely up to God for the sins of the world. And here's what he's saying. Eat from that altar. The grace of God feeds the soul. What did Jesus say to the people in John chapter 6? It freaked people out. A lot of people stopped following him when he said these things. He said, listen, I'm the bread of heaven. I came down from heaven. If any man eats that bread, they'll live forever. In fact, he said, my food, think my body, he said, think of it as food, like bread. My blood that I pour out, think of it as, as drink of, of living water that feeds you, not, not physically, but spiritually. And so many people said, oh, we can't get it. All he was saying is, the work of the cross represents that altar in the Old Testament. The work of the cross has to be ingested by faith into the heart. And that grace will make you alive. If you eat and feed on Jesus and the work of the cross by faith, it comes into you. It's not enough. And that's why the analogy of bread and wine was used. Because Jesus' death on the cross just can't be something you know about. It has to be ingested into you. And he says, like a meal. So at the Last Supper, he said, this meal's about me, not about some food you get from the old school temple. In fact, I have a contrast for you. The next slide. So the writer's saying, it's not about this food. It's about this food. And then he says in the next verse, we have an altar. There's the altar. We have an altar where no Jewish high priest, the high priest had certain food in that worship service that no one else could eat. And they really coveted that food. And so Paul is saying, oh, we got an altar as Christians that those dudes can't even eat from because they don't know Jesus, right? So he's saying, 
We eat from the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross that pays for all of our sins. That's the grace that strengthens the heart. That's what you need to be eating. No, 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 not unleavened bread. Oh, look, I'm getting closer to God. Are you crazy? That's strange. Go to the cross and eat of Jesus and the, the sacrifice that he's laid down. That's the grace that will strengthen your heart. Be grounded, stay grounded in the truth. That's the whole essence of that. Let's move on to the next point. Verses 13 through 16, they move quicker now. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. So he's talking about the source. Where did that grace that strengthens our heart come from? It came out from outside the camp. I'm going to explain that. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share uh, with others for such sacrifices God is pleased. All right, so let's park there. That will be stay faithful, stay faithful. So stay grounded and stay faithful. And that will involve two things, bearing the disgrace that comes with identifying with Jesus that you can't get out of uh, and serve him and his people in a devoted way. So he's saying, he's saying now, now that grace that strengthens your heart, that, that feeds you, where does that come from? Where do we find that grace? Well, we find that grace outside the camp. So let me show you a picture of what he's talking about. Outside the gate or the city, here's the temple here. And really, this is all part of the temple mount, right? And Jesus was flogged and questioned and interrogated somewhere in here. But his suffering, they, they took him out. And they led him, and he carried his cross. They marched him out outside the camp, the, the city, all right? And they put him out here. Now, he makes a comparison in the last verse to Yom Kippur, where the, holy, the holiest day of the year, the Day of Atonement, they would take the sacrifice and use the blood only, and it went into the holy place. But the carcasses were hauled outside the gate. Normally, they would be used as food, right? But on the Day of Atonement, you weren't allowed to eat, period. You were fasting. So this is his point. His point is, by the way, if you think that food is going to make you closer to God, if you recall, in Yom, on Yom Kippur, we don't eat anyway. So he's saying those carcasses get hauled out and burned outside the city gate just where Jesus was hauled outside. So he says, okay, and speaking of that, let us go with him outside the gate. Now, what does this mean? The carcasses, the bloody carcasses, nobody wanted to look at. First of all, you laid your hand on those goats and those bulls, and you confessed all your sins onto that poor, innocent, big, brown-eyed, little livestock animal, right? And then they slit its throat, because that was the, the life was in the blood, meaning all they need is the life, that, the blood, that represents the life. So because the wages of sin is death, the blood said a life has been killed. They just took the blood. Who wants to look now at the remains of what our sin did to those animals? So haul them out shameful, rejected, outcast, just take it away. We don't want to look at it. So they took the carcasses away outside the gate. Get rid of it. We don't want to look at that. It's ugly, right? And they disposed of it that way. And he says, that's a picture of what they did to the real lamb. They dragged his body out and said, you are despised, you are rejected, we spit on you, we mock you, all of these things, and now get out of our sight. We don't want to be looking at it. 
and they, 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 they took him out of the, uh, out of the city. And, and he says, and it's such an endearing thing. Be, be faithful. He says, go to him. Go to your Lord. That means you have to leave this in a sense. Meaning there's going to be enmity and strife. And they're going to treat you the same way. Jesus said, well, if they called me the prince of the devil, prince of devils, they're going to, how much more you? You're saying and doing the things that cost me my life, and I was crucified. Therefore, if you're little Christ going to a world that crucified me, they're going to do the same thing to you. And so he says, listen, Hebrews, you're being, you're being persecuted. Cowboy up, man. You have to go to your Lord. You have to. Have, we, this city's destined to be burned. First Peter. Second Peter, my bad. Second Peter 3.10 says, this earth is destined to be destroyed by fire. So he says, what are you so hung up about if everybody loves me, if I fit in? If, 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 if you're being marginalized, hello, let's call that marginalized. Are you being mocked or rejected or pushed out? He says, go to him. Go with him. That's where you find your grace. That's where It's not by standing in here on a tower and saying, I'm with that guy out there, but I want to be a part of everybody here. So please love me still. It's not going to happen. He says, get down off the tower and go down there where there's blood spattered everywhere and go up there where they're mocking and saying, son of God, come on down off the cross, Mr. Messiah. Oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Go there with him and bear the disgrace. Don't start changing things in the Bible so you don't have to bear the disgrace. Oh, you're actually a good guy. You're more like us than we thought. Oh, that's what you think? Oh, yeah, that's what I think. No, he says, you're not going to find grace there. You're going to find grace out with the Lord. And then as a response... There, you stay faithful to your rejected Jesus. And he said, listen, that's temporary, okay? He says, look, this city's going. You've got a city that's coming. So when, when they marginalize you and mock you and, 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 and take your head off like they're doing this afternoon on some beach in Tunisia to Christians... When they do that to you, can you look up and remember there's, you belong in the city to come and you fit in there. And when you get there, they're going to be dazzling angels. There's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords on this beautiful emerald throne. And, and not to mention what the streets are paved with. And, and there's going to be uh, myriads and myriads of angels in joyful uh, procession or assembly. And guess what? You're going to speak the language. You're going to fit in. God himself is going to be dwelling with you. Everything's going to be good, clean, right, and true. He says, look at that city. They're going to push you out and reject you, but you don't have a permanent place here anyway. So he says, keep looking to the city above because that's where your citizenship is. And I'm going to tell you people, listen, this world is being set. The stage is set for the final end finale called Armageddon. I mean, how much closer can you get without people pushing buttons and then going off? We are right there where I'm telling you what, you're, you're, you're one twinkling of an eye away from that city whose maker and builder and architect is God. You are a one bat of an eye, one trumpet sound. First Thessalonians chapter four says, uh, you're gonna hear the voice of Michael, the archangel, and a trumpet sound, and for us, we will be in the presence of the Lord. He says, Can... so folks, it's temporary. Go on out. And you know, here's the terrible paradox. The last chapter of the Bible talks about in and out reversal. So the Lord keeps saying, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, all the time. He says it over and over again. What does he mean? He means, but many who are greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. The fools... 
for Christ, the rejects, the persecuted ones on the outside with the shame, being despised, the narrow-minded, ignorant, hate-mongers of the world, the butt of all the world's jokes. Jesus says, oh, and I appear there's going to be a great reversal. And those who were in will be out. And those who were out will be in. He says, there's a wall. And he says, outside are those who are unclean, the murderers, the liars, the fornicators. He says, outside, do you see? He's saying, hey, hang on there. You're going to go outside, but it's temporary. This is the closest to hell you're ever going to get. And unfortunately, it's the closest to heaven that unbelievers will ever get. He says, it's okay to go out there now and get slapped around because you're, you're, you're being identified with Christ. But when he returns, there will be a great and awesome reversal. And then there'll be a door and people will be pounding as they did in the days of Lot and, and also in the days of Noah. Noah was shut out and marginalized. He was on the out, and then he was on the in, and then they were on the out, and they wanted to be in the in, but it was too late. That's what he's saying is going to happen. He says, you go to the Lord. You take it on the chin. It's temporary because of all the eternity, things are going to be changed. And you're going to be on the end. And if you try to be on the end now, you will be on the out then when it matters most. Choose. Choose. Do you want to be out and uncomfortable now and in for eternity or out for eternity and in for a few short years here and now? He says that ought to bring two things. You can go back to the verse. That ought to bring two things, a sacrifice. He says, hey, Jews, we don't need to be bringing, schlepping the lambs into the temple and the grain offerings anymore. He says, you want to know what you put on the offering? This, lips that praise the Lord and, and confess his name. Because why? It costs you. It costs them. Listen, they said, are you one of those Christians or are you going to give praise to, to Caesar right now? All you have to do is take some incense here if you want this job. Show that you're a, a law-abiding, patriotic uh, Roman citizen. Put it in the fire and say, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians would not do that. And they'd get in trouble and they'd get locked up. But he says, when they say, are you a Christian? And you say, yes, sir, I am. And I cannot say that. The fruit of your mouth goes on the altar and it gets burned up and it goes up to heaven and it makes God smile. He says, that's how you offer. You identify with the rejected one is a way to offer praise. You know, I told first service, I was on a, it was a crowded bus. It was like an airport shell thing. Somebody saw me reading a Bible everybody's in there and it's dead quiet and people are hand, you know, there and I've got my Bible open and somebody's rolling their eyes looking at me and I could feel the heat coming, you know. I just, just felt somebody was not happy, you know. Well, you know, a guy minding his own business reading a book. How terrible. And so he goes, oh, you're one of those Christians, one of those Jesus freaks. It was some years ago. And I said, and you could hear the bus and see the faces. <laughs> and I said, I am. Oh. 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 <laughs> now, you want to talk about a food that brings some satisfaction? I identified with the, Ooh, you went to him, you're with him. Yeah, I am. I bear the disgrace. And Jesus says, oh, that's, that's a sacrifice. Thank you, because that costs you. The fruit of my name on your lips will cost you. And then he says, the last thing is, and the sacrifice of doing good for God's people. You, you know, I call it the Ebenezer effect. I talk a lot about that. My favorite uh, Christmas movie is A Christmas Carol with George C. 
God, right? That's his name. And he comes out and realizes, oh, whoa, it's just a dream. I'm not really in hell, even though I deserved it. And he wakes up and he opens the shutters and the sun's coming in and it's Merry Christmas and music is playing. That guy goes in and he gets the sacks of gold coins and he goes out to the window, my favorite part in the movie, and he's just tossing the coins out. And then he's in town and he goes by and he sees somebody in trouble. He says, hey, let me help you. I've got means, I can help you, I got time. Merry Christmas and they're all, everywhere the guy goes, he just can't stop doing good deeds. And it's not so that he can get to heaven. It's because he realizes, oh, I've been given a second chance. Our good deeds are not to merit anything. They're a response. And he says, anybody who's had a lifetime of sins taken away and your, your destination to hell averted forever and instead reigning and ruling with the living God you ought to be obsessed with doing some good things for some people. You ought to be the nicest person on the planet. You ought to be the most gracious, forgiving, like who cares what matters? I almost went to hell. Thank you very much. How may I serve you? How may I serve you? Amen? Come on, one more. Amen? All right, I like this. Last line, okay. A benediction and we're done. It's really fast. Check this out. We're done with the book of Hebrews right here. (laughs) May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you, supply for you, instruct you, give to you every good thing to do his will. And may he work in us, may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And now some PSs, brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. (laughs) Don't laugh. I'm going to defend him in a second. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. Oh, come on. Paul and Timothy have been partners for 15 years. If he arrives soon... I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people, those from Italy, the Paisanos, send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. All right, let's talk about the benediction. Benediction is a, from the Latin word, just means blessing, right? So here's the blessing. And so the, the third point is stay in God's will. Stay in God's will. And here's how you do that. Well, there are three promises in the blessing. One is a promise of peace. You know, he says, the God of peace. There's a great war that got started in the Garden of Eden. The the snake came in. Come on over here. God wants to take something from you. He wants to keep you from having a good thing. You follow me. Do what he said not to do. Okay? Looks good, doesn't it? Come on. You know you want to. (laughs) And she did. And he did. And a war started. The human race was at enmity with God. And the war is over. That's what he's saying. You have a God of peace. No more fear, anxiety, condemnation. Come to me and I'll give you rest. The second thing is a promise of care. He says, You've got God Almighty as through an eternal promise to be your great shepherd. Come on, the shepherd's job, you're his sheep. All day long, the shepherd lives to take care of that sheep, guarding it, making sure it's healthy, directing it in all its ways. You know how it goes. The Lord is my shepherd. Of course, if God is the one watching over you, you will lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You want to try it with me? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You have a shepherd, and it's God. You're going to be okay. And the third thing, and the last thing, you have power. You have power. You know what? Tell me all these things, Paul. 13 chapters. He says it's a short letter. 13 chapters to him is short. 16 to the Romans. 16 to 1 Corinthians. And then he went to 2 Corinthians. (laughs) He's saying, listen, he said twice in the letter, you know I want to say more things, but I don't have the time. So he's saying, listen, he's anticipating a little bit of, you know, nobody wants to hear all the things they're doing wrong, or they don't want to hear their beloved plan to go back to Judaism, hammered, 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 hammered. So he's saying, hey, guys, just give me, be patient, listen out, listen to it, let somebody read it, don't overreact. Come on, it's just a short letter. Just get through it, all right? He wants them to hear uh, the word of God. Uh, But this is the cool part. He says, it's God's power that will give you the strength to do it inside you. The way you stay in God's will is cooperating with the God who's in you by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't command you to do something that he doesn't enable you. So he's saying, may this wonderful God who's made peace with you, who loves you, who's promised you safety through his own blood, he is your great shepherd, and he will equip you to do everything I've talked about in this epistle inside of you. He will show you who you're supposed to be. You'll become that person. Listen, if you tell me all the reasons why I should do this, that's nice. And you motivate me and inspire me. It's not enough. I have a sinful nature. I have a lifetime of bad habits. I, I'm not always going to do it. But here's Christianity. He, he comes inside and he says, just sit back, kid. Cooperate. Let me take the wheel. Come on, move over. Move over. Let go. He's telling me to let go. Give him more real estate. And, and he says, watch. I'll do it. Right? It's kind of like the guy with the withered hand in Luke chapter 7, where the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of healing and doing work on Saturday the Sabbath, breaking the commands. Right? And so he says, they say, oh, let's watch and see if he's going to work on the Sabbath so we can kill him. That's a nice attitude to have in church. And so <laughs> Jesus looks out and he sees this guy with the palsied hand. And he says, you, with the hand, stand up. Everybody's looking. And he says to this guy, and I've said this many times, fascinating. Stretch forth your hand. First, he lectured the bad guys. And he said, let me ask you a question. If your animal fell into a pit on the Saturday Sabbath, would you do work to lift and carry him and help him out? Of course you would. And then they were, they were like <laughs> silenced. And then he said, you, with the hand, stretch it forth. If I'm the guy with the hand, I would be all, I would, Jesus, I'm all for you. But, you know, when I was little, there was an accident. Did no one tell you about this? I, I can't use it, right? Because, do you see? Don't tell me, stretch it out. You know, it doesn't work. Okay, look, there you go. I stretch forth my hand. Jesus like, Stretch forth your hand. So he, he has to do something, right? Is it God? Is it him? He doesn't know. He's like, okay, the son of God, he's been walking on water and raising dead people. And he told me to stretch forth my hand. Well, maybe, oh, maybe, maybe, what? Whoa, <laughs> look at that. Yeah, who's doing it? He's doing it. God's doing it together. God's command His cooperation with God working met together and pow, a miracle happened. And the weak became strong because he took God at his word and went to act with something that didn't work. 
So you're telling me to do something? I can't do it. I don't even want to do it. Yeah, just, 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 just go ahead. Listen to that voice and just kind of go toward it. And, and suddenly you're doing it. The paralyzed thing is moving because you take God at his word. He says, that's how you're going to do everything I wrote in 13 chapters. Don't try this at home without him. Right? Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the download of 13 beautiful chapters into our very needy hearts. <laughs> We're thankful, Lord, that you call us on the carpet in some areas, that you encourage us in others, you instruct us, comfort us, and guide us. Lord, may your Holy Spirit seal these truths and, and, and decipher them and help them be sorted out in our own hearts and minds so that we could be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.